0: Well, Good morning. morning. It's so good to see all of you out this morning. It's great to see guests and returning uh, Folks that are new to MCC. So glad that you're here children fifth grade and under uh, You can make your way down to clubhouse and you guys have a great time with your lesson The rest of us are going to be turning in our Bibles to two places The first is in the New Testament the book of Ephesians. I want you to find Ephesians chapter 4 And if you do reading during the week, that's a great chapter to be looking at in this series, Is It Okay Too?, as we answer a variety of questions. So look there at Ephesians chapter 4, hold your place, and then go back towards the beginning of the Bible, to the Old Testament, to the book of 2 Samuel chapter 12. 2 Samuel chapter 12. Well, I told David Bigelow last night, I am so grateful for him and Brandon, Dan, Graham, and all of the faculty over 50 that were out at Wonder Valley Camp this week. I, the greatest testimony last night was to look out and to have the students who occupy now the, the first third of this side of the worship center on Saturdays, To have them stand as ones who had the privilege of baptizing another if i were to have you stand this morning as an adult and i'm not going to do this but if i were to have you stand as an adult can you say that you've been in those waters with someone because it's the most important thing that we get to do to have the opportunity to plant the seed And if you stay in the same place long enough, you get to see that seed sprout and you get to see it come back And if you've been faithful, you get to be the one that stands in the water with them. This is a church where the preacher doesn't do it all, but the people who are right there on the ground leading others to Christ get that privilege. Last night, to have those students stand up and to acknowledge at such a young age, some of them have been in those waters two, three, four times with their friends, which, by the way, did you notice that we had a a really handsome keyboard player this morning? (laughs) Mr. Jake Ewell has learned the piano in two weeks. Now, next week, we're going to turn it on so you can hear it. <laughs> but, man, he looks good up there playing. He looks good up there playing. We're so appreciative of him. I, I want to welcome Jansen or Danian Tate. Uh, Daniel Tate is back with us. I saw him come through communion. Where you at, Danian? There he is back there. Daniel just finished his four-year tour in the Marines. Let's thank him for his service. <laughs> It's also thank you Danian it's good to have you back in our community and Danian's uh, pursuing Uh, uh, career in law enforcement. I think he's going to be starting down at the Department of Corrections hopefully soon, and uh, we'll be praying for you, but we'll, more importantly, be encouraging you every week when you're here. Really excited about that. It's good to have special friends back, uh, like Pam Davis, who's right down front. You might not recognize her, but she's gone through some significant life change over the last year, and we're so proud of you and what you're doing, but it's great to have you home this morning. And then you can thank uh, Steve and Susie Legg, who are with us this morning all the way from Florida. We've got great friends, great supporters of the ministry here. personal friends to me, but I am so glad that you're here and that you brought this steamy weather with you uh, this weekend. This series, "Asking for a Friend," was born out of this idea, this reality. And that is as followers of Jesus Christ, those of you who've surrendered your life to him and Christian baptism who have received his Holy Spirit along the journey, remember we discussed two weeks ago, is it okay to stay the same, to remain unchanged? And we said, of course not. We should be growing. We should be changing to become more like Christ every day. If we're not growing, then we're going backwards. We must always be always be becoming more like him and so as we do that these questions come to mind now where do those questions come from they come from the Holy Spirit they come from the conviction that we feel when we're about to do something that used to be totally normal for our lives questions like is it okay to lie just a little?" Uh, When you're faced with that as a believer, whether you're a young believer or older believer, your heart starts to race a little bit, and you have that opportunity to answer that question. Now, in the weeks ahead, we're going to get to some more serious questions. Is it okay to move in with someone that you care about and have a sexual relationship outside of marriage with them? What do I do? Is it okay to have feelings towards the same sex, This weekend, we begin with a question that David addresses in his life situation. In fact, we look at two situations in his life as we look at the subject of, is it okay to get angry? In chapter 12 of 2 Samuel, we read these words. And I, you're going to hear me say things like, I want you to underline this. And I encourage you to do that. My parents said, don't write in your Bible. Ever since I got out of home, I've written in my Bible. And it's my favorite one. You can look in here. I can find where I need to go by the feel of it, right? It just gets comfortable like that. And there's notes that I've made along the way, questions that I have. The answers that I found, I I highlight them, I underline them, I put arrows at them, I scratch through the things that I don't want to do, right? Do you guys do that? That's a trick question. You shouldn't do that. Don't don't tear any pages out. But in chapter 12, verse 1, we read these words. The Lord, God, the Lord sent Nathan to David. Now, Now, right off the bat, there's something I want you to underline. And that is the word sent The Lord sent Nathan. God causes. God allows. God will bring circumstances, and he will bring people into your life for his purpose. So God, he allowed this encounter. The Lord sent. He set it up. He sent Nathan to David. The Lord sent Nathan to David, when he came to David, this is what Nathan said. He said, let me tell you a story. Now, now, when I come up to you, uh, if you're a friend of mine, and I say, hey, let me tell you, let me tell you this story. It, it's, it's a fictional story, uh, but, it, but it's got a, a message to it, right? You know you're about to get a life lesson, right? Anybody get those stories told? to? I, we get, I get got them told to me all the time. But this is what Nathan's getting ready to do with David. When he came to him, he said, let me tell you this story, David. There were two men in a certain town, one rich and the other poor. And he goes on to explain the rich man. The rich man had a very large number of sheep and cattle, probably thousands of acres. But the poor man, in contrast, he had nothing except one little you lamb, one little precious lamb. And then he goes into great detail to describe how precious this lamb was to this poor man, about how he fed him from his cup, like, like some of you feed your dogs, right, at the table. You got a little display there, a table, a table, you know you do. That's the way it was with this lamb, right here. You need a drink. Uh, le- let me make sure that you're, you got good food here you want a bite of what i'm having this was this was what this guy did even so much so that when it came time to go to bed that little ewe lamb was right there in his arms and then nathan says these key words he says that little lamb was like a daughter to that poor man he raised it And it grew up with him and his children. It shared his food, drank from his cup, even slept in his arms. It was like a daughter to him, verse 3. Now you see it coming, don't you? You see it coming. Verse 4. Now a traveler came to the rich man, but the rich man refrained. He didn't take one of his own sheep or cattle to fix a meal. Right? All those thousands ahead of cattle. Didn't take a one. What did he do? Here's the next word to underline. He took, he took the lamb that belonged to the poor man and prepared it for the one who had come to him. Now in verse 5, Nathan gets interrupted. Often like Peter would interrupt Jesus. Only this time... Nathan gets interrupted, telling the story when David blurts out. Do you ever see somebody get angry? Brandon Dickerson, he won't even sit up here anymore with me. But I love to see him at staff meeting. We go round and round at staff meeting, right? They're always arguing and fighting. And, you know, when I say something that really stirs him up, his neck gets red. Then his whole head gets red. A couple hairs pop out, and he gets thinner on top. David, it says, burned with anger against the man. And he said to Nathan, as surely as the Lord lives, the man who did this deserves to die. Not only should he die, but he must pay for the lamb four times over because he did such a thing and have no pity. Now, I want you to stop reading there. David had every right to be angry, correct? Correct. Would you be angry over such an injustice if you saw that or if you heard that story told to you? Now, I want you to hold your place there because we're going to come back. But I want you to look at Ephesians chapter four, verse 26. As God addresses this question, was it okay for David to be angry? And is it okay for us to be angry? Ephesians chapter four, verse 26. In your anger... In your anger, it says, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you're still angry, and do not give the devil a foothold. Now, those who live in Alaska, Antarctica, they they get a pass on this, right? Sun never goes down, or if it does, it does for several months. Verse 31, get rid of all the bitterness. Some of you don't know geography. It's okay, I don't either. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger, Brawling and slander along with every form of malice. In your anger. What's Paul writing about? He goes all the way back to Psalm chapter four, verse four, a psalm written by who? David. David, who is ticked off at this rich man for what he's done to the poor. The psalm written by David. In your anger, do not sin. When you are on your bed, search your heart, be silent. Offer right sacrifices and trust in the Lord. So God addresses this question, is it okay to get angry? I suggest to you this way, let's start here. And that is we all experience the emotion of anger. Anybody here never been angry? Oh, well, good for you, Sarah. Yeah, the rest of us, we've been there, right? Angry. We all experience the emotion of anger. Psalm 4:4 4, 4 is actually translated, "Get angry. Be angry." because there's such a thing as righteous anger. There's such a thing as right anger. In fact, righteous anger is an attribute. It's part of God's character. Let me remind you, Romans 1:18. The wrath, the anger of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of men who suppress the truth by their wickedness. You think when God looks down and sees all the silliness that's going on in our country today, that he's not angry? It says right here his wrath is being poured out even today to the godless to those who are rejecting the truth of who he is. God experiences anger. Jesus, who never sinned, was righteously angry a number of times while he was here on earth. When the Pharisees opposed Jesus for healing on the Sabbath, Mark 3, 5 says that he looked at them with anger. Although the Bible doesn't use the word, it doesn't take a big stretch of our imagination. When Jesus went in and he saw the Pharisees selling birds, selling sacrifices, diminishing what it is that God required of the people in the temple. What did Jesus do? He turned the tables over. Do you think he came in and said, oh, excuse me, I'm just going to, I'm just going to brush this stuff off the table. I'd really rather you not have that here. He went in and he flipped tables upside down. He was angry. And he was right in his anger. In Matthew, when Jesus pronounced woe after woe on the religious for leading the people astray, he specifically spoke about children. And he said, if anyone causes one of these little ones, those who believe in me, to stumble it'd be better for them to have a large millstone tied around their neck and be drowned in the depths of the sea. You you know what I think of every time I read that passage? I think of my friend. I think of my friend who he and his brothers and other family members spent their early years living in an orphanage where they were sexually abused, if not weekly, daily. And it makes me angry You know why? Because that orphanage was a Christian-run orphanage. It was run by the church. It should make you angry, too. That's what I think about when I read this time when Jesus was angry, so angry that he said a millstone should be tied around their neck. They'd be better off dead than to be abusing children. You see, righteous anger is a God-given emotion. It's a God-given emotion that we all experience. But, (laughs) but, we must process our anger biblically. We must process our anger according to God's will and directives found in his word. David said, search your heart and be silent offer right sacrifices to god so let me ask you what makes you angry in fact on your outline i I want you to just draw a line down the middle right there over top of your notes and i want you to make two columns Uh, column on the left i want you to write down the things that you get angry about that you think should be right anger righteous anger And i'll give you a list of some of those things in just a moment but on the right side of your paper I want you to write down the things that cause you to ask this question. Is it okay for me to be angry? The times when you get angry with your young person in your home or your old person that's about to come back to your home. I want you to make a list of those things. When you hear of a man who's ruining his family because of misplaced priorities, does that make you angry? It makes me angry. Angry When you hear someone spreading gossip or saying something petty about your church, do you get angry? I do. I spent a lot of this year being angry, reading some of the foolish stuff on Facebook by people who say they love the church. But putting down preachers like me who said that God comes first according to his word makes me angry. Which column should that be in? What about a child who's being neglected or mistreated? Is it an injustice that you have experienced yourself or someone that you care deeply for? Is it the fact that a portion of the taxes we pay goes to fund millions of abortions each year that have nothing to do with the health of the mother? Does that make you angry? I'll tell you, it does me, but it makes me more angry to know the hurt, the defeat, the sadness that these women face years later. Who felt as if they had no other choice. Because we're paying people to be in clinics to not give them a choice. But to point them towards this terrible injustice. Now all the way back, all the way back to the beginning of creation when Cain was angry because God rejected his sacrifice. Talked recently about Jonah in one of our groups. Jonah, when he went to Nineveh, right, he argued with God about it, then he went, and Nineveh repented, and and Jonah went off angry. God came to both of these men And he said to them, why are you angry? This wasn't because God was puzzled by their anger. But he wanted them to answer the question, to analyze their own anger. So let me ask you, why why are you asking? Is it okay to be angry? What drives your anger? This is what's behind Paul's command in Ephesians 4. In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give the devil a foothold. What's that mean? It means that we are to process. We're to be quick to process our anger so that it doesn't fester into something sinful. Now earlier, I used the example I use the example of righteous anger towards those in authority at a Christian orphanage who abused my friend. Now, while righteous anger should move us to prosecute those people to the full extent of the law, righteous anger should also lead us to elect Christian leaders, to put Christian men in a place of influence in our country. Yet how many of you voted for a party this year? that condones, that funds abortion. All because you're more concerned about promises that they made than what the Word of God says. Anger should drive us, righteous anger, should drive us to do something positive about this. While while anger that isn't dealt with Festered inside of my friend for years. For years. Not just one night, but night after night that turned into month after month and year after year. And do you know who his anger was directed towards? It was directed towards the church. These people in the church who had abused him and it kept him from God until what? Until he chose to process his anger According to God's word Now let's go back to David and Nathan's conversation in 2 Samuel chapter 12 David was angry about the injustice against the poor man In that moment he blurted out his thoughts That rich man, that rich man should be dead After he's dead you ought to prop him back up And send him out and make him go out and repay What he took four times over, Right? Sounds like some of the things that we say when we're angry. But then David looks at Nathan, or Nathan looks at David, and he says, Hey, David, you're the man. Now, notice he's not saying you're the man, way to go. But he's saying, Hey, you're the rich man. You're the rich man. And go on and read while I paraphrase for you verses eight and following. He says, You're the rich man. Everything you have, David, God has given you. You're the king because God made you king. You're alive because God kept you alive. You're married to the wife that you have because God has allowed you to be married. Even though God does not approve of you marrying twice, notice he's got two wives at this point. God never approved of that. Just as he doesn't approve of polygamy today. Even though God does not approve of you marrying twice, he's not taking this from you. Can you hear it? One of the ways that we're to process our anger biblically is to remember just how much God has given us. And the reason why we need to look at how much he's given us is because the greatest thing that he's given us is forgiveness of our own sins. Oh, but but our sins don't compare to David's. Our sins don't don't compare to those people downtown Louisville on Jefferson at the clinic. Those don't compare to those people in Washington. Really? It was the so-called little sins that put Jesus Christ on the cross. Pontius Pilate's indecision. The Pharisees' lies. Judas' greed All sin leads to death. It's why God's anger burns towards sin and our anger should burn towards sin as well. But it's also why we have to address anger in our lives today before it becomes sin. And one of the things anger should drive us to do is it should always drive us to take a close look inside of ourselves first. It's the first word I had you underline in this passage. God sent Nathan to David. What was God after? God was after David's heart. Just as God is after your heart today, even in your anger. David's anger, although first directed towards the rich man, was now recognized as God's anger towards David, who if you don't know the story... Verse 9 lays it out for you. David had taken Bathsheba, another man's wife. Another man's wife. David, who had two wives already. David, who saw Bathsheba out on a rooftop one night when David was derelict in his duty. He looks out and he sees this woman. He has an affair with her. And those of you who have been on the the end of an affair, you know that an affair is not only a destroying physical assault on your marriage, but it's an emotional and it's a spiritual assault as well. An affair that led to a pregnancy that led to David seeing to it that her husband died on the battlefield in order to cover up his own sin. Verse 13, then David said to Nathan, i've sinned against the lord look at nathan's reply the lord has taken away your sin you're not going to die but your son will what a blow what a blow what's it going to take for you in your life See, this was a blow that brought David to his knees. And as you read the rest of David's life, you'll see that it was on his knees that it brought him to a point of complete and utter dependence on God and God's plan that would stretch all the way to you and to me. So I ask you again, what has you angry, or at least asking the question, is it righteous anger or is it anger that points to the flip side of anger, which is Selfishness, being focused on self. There's three things that I think we can glean from David's experience and get to the root of this selfishness. First, God requires that I take responsibility for my anger. It's not anyone else's job but yours. You and I, we must take responsibility for our Anger. Now, some say that's my problem. I can't control my anger. Bull. The truth is, you can, you just don't want to. Somebody finish that for me. I didn't mean to say that, but <laughs> just joking. Bull, you know. Some, <laughs> you just don't want to. Why? If you're honest with yourself, it's because. Controlling your anger means judging your own selfishness, which is nine times out of 10 at the root of sinful anger to begin with. Let me give you a couple of examples. Anybody here besides me uh, get angry when your child gets hurt by doing something foolish? I mean, be honest. It's my first response, man. Once I make sure they're okay. But, But then I am just, wound up inside. Have you ever asked yourself why you get angry? why anger is a go-to? Well, anger is a natural response. But what's underneath that anger? Is it righteous or is it selfish? Underneath my anger is fear. When one of my girls gets hurt, I see how vulnerable we are, Right? And I get scared, and when I get scared, I get angry because I believe I've got just a small window to fix that. Does that make sense? What about when someone doesn't follow through on a commitment? I'm sure that's never happened to you. You know, people don't make commitments today just like they don't send thank you notes, right? Doesn't that make you angry? Why does it make you angry? because it meant that you had to pick up their load it, it meant that meant that they they look good on the outside and they made this big commitment but you know they didn't keep it right Isn't that selfishness at its root underneath that anger what about when you feel left out and you get angry you see where i'm going have you ever asked the question, What's driving my anger? Is it fear? Is it rejection? Is it disappointment? But many times we'd rather just be angry than address what's going on inside of us. You see, when God commands us to control our anger, He gives us the self control to do it. He does. You remember Galatians 5? The fruit of God's Spirit. The spirit that you received at your baptism. The Holy Spirit. What is the fruit of that spirit? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, right? And self-control. You have exactly what you need to address your own anger. Self-control requires that I take responsibility for my anger. And determine whether it's selfish or righteous. Second. If our anger, if your anger is righteous, the Bible leads us to prayerfully think through a course of action. Now here's the kicker. A course of action that will bring glory to God. Not a course of action that's gonna make you happy and feel all fuzzy and warm inside. See, I think we misunderstand sometimes why God created us and saved us. We make it all about us. But it's about Him. And it's about bringing Him glory. David repented. And in his repentance, he brought God glory. David prayed. David did something that many won't do today, and that is, he accepted the consequences of his own sin. He didn't get angry when the consequence was is that his son was taken from him. Oh, he prayed, he begged with God for a week that that God would change his mind and relent. But at the end of the day, he dealt with his consequences. But this wasn't the first time David experienced this. I want you to go back earlier in David's life to 1 Samuel chapter 29. And I just want you to give me five more minutes because this is my favorite story in the Bible, or at least my favorite story this week. They're all favorites. But this is a great story. In 1 Samuel chapter 29, David has every right to be angry. His, his anger is righteous. Well, Let me tell you how he got there. So, so David is in this little town called Zyklag. It's kind of a name like Henryville, right? <laughs> he, <laughs> sorry, you Henryvillians. Let's say it's like Scottsburg. He, he's in, he's in uh, Zyklag. This is actually enemy territory. The Philistines are in that area. And David's there with 600 or so of his men, which means that their families, David's wives, unless he left one at home, his children, their livestock, everything that they own, all of their possessions are with them in Zyklag. And David takes his men one day and he says, hey, let's go follow the Philistines. Let's go help them in this battle. Remember, David's still waiting on Saul to die. He'll become king. Let's go. They were told to turn back. And that's where we pick up in verse three. It says that as David and his men returned home, They could see over the hillside. This was hill country. They could see over the hillside the smoke rising. I imagine that they ran the rest of the way, and it says, when they arrived, they found everything destroyed by fire, and their wives and sons and daughters were gone. They had been taken captive. Can you imagine? You leave home in the morning, and you come back, and everything's destroyed. But isn't that how it is in our life? (laughs) And David was so angry. His men were so angry. They were so angry that they cried. Not only did they cry, but they wept. And they wept so long that they were drained of all of their energy. They were as good as dead themselves. Things were bad. They were really bad. Some of you have been there. Some of you are there today. Your son's smoking pot again. Again again. Your husband, your wife, loves themselves more than you. Your mother, the person who raised you, who gave you so much, your mother has Parkinson's. And now you're there sleeping on the couch, making sure that she doesn't fall because she can barely shuffle her feet to get down the hall. Your grieving loss brought by death and anger is a very real face of grief. What do you do? What does David do? Look at verse 8. David inquires of the Lord. He says, Lord, how do you want me to process this? What do you want me to do with this? David prayed, Lord, should I go after the Amalekites? They're the ones who came in and burned everything and took everything. And if I do go after them, will you grant me favor? here. what he's asking. Is my anger righteous, God? And here's step three. Be obedient. Be obedient to God's spirit as he leads you to resolution. There must be resolution to your anger. Righteous or not. Whether that resolution is the sin in your heart that needs to be reconciled. as as David reconciled his sin before God? Whether it's the sin someone has committed against you. Or in this case, the resolution is to allow God to restore what's been taken from you by someone else's anger. Do you think about that? The Amalekites, they had to be angry people to be so nasty. They had to be so angry to go in and to take everything, to burn it, to take little children and and women off and hold them captive in their camp. In verse seven, God answers David, Pursue them. I love that. I wish God would say that to me more often. (laughs) Pursue them. You will certainly overtake them and you will succeed in their rescue and pursue them. David did. Verse 17 says that David fought from dusk until the evening of the next day. Have you played that out in your mind what you would do if someone took your loved one? Oh, I wouldn't care how many nights and days it would take. Hopefully I would do it with God's help and power. And that's what David did, 24 hours. And it says that they recovered everything that the Amalekites had taken, everything. Nothing was missing, young or old, boy or girl, plunder or anything else. Because in his righteous anger, David went to God. And God is a God who restores. God is a God who reclaims. Just look at your life. You see, whether you're asking for a friend or whether you're asking for yourself, it's okay. It's okay to be angry. In fact, there are some things that you should be angry about. But like everything, like every question that's going to come up in your journey with God, you have to take that and you have to lay it at Jesus' feet. And you have to say... According to your word, God, according to you, Jesus, how do you want me to process this? And then you have to have the courage and the wherewithal to follow his spirit's lead until it's resolved. The question for you today is what leads you to ask the question to begin with? I have a feeling some of you, you may not have asked the question today, but, but some of you have anger that's lingered over for more than a night, <laughs> more than a week, more than a year. What are you gonna do with that anger now that you know what you need to do? Is it righteous? Is it right, are you angry about the state? of our world, then, then how are you going to vote next year, right? Uh, how are you going to pray this year for those who are in leadership? Uh, are you going to do your best to raise your children to be someone who can come up in the fear of the Lord and lead our land? Uh, that's just one example. What are you going to do with that righteous anger? Some of you Some of you this morning, you need to reconcile with God and his anger. You've been living outside of a relationship with him. You've denied him. And you can't find peace in your life for anything. Come and accept him through Jesus Christ as your savior and Lord. Be baptized, receive the spirit that will cause you to ask these questions so that you can lay those things at his feet and you can find resolution, whatever your need today is. Maybe it's someone to pray with you. Maybe you've been tagging along for a while and you'd like to be part of this church family. Whatever your need, I'll meet you right down here. Let's stand together, come as we sing.